Very good. Well, I was going to begin today by telling you that baptism, anytime we do baptisms, they're always special. And, buddy, this day is getting a lot more special for me, evidently. Um, it's, always, it's always a blessing for us as God's people to be able to celebrate uh, those that have, have come to faith and to, to rejoice with them as they walk through the waters of baptism. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, uh, there, you know, like any other job, there are some things about your job that you love and some things about your job that you endure. And then there are some things about your job that you just hate. I hate what just happened up here a moment ago, all right? I just want you to know. And another thing I hate is I hate giving announcements because there's something odd that happens when I give announcements to a church that all of God's people just get the spiritual gift of hearing loss. They just... So I hope, I hope that you do read through the bulletin today and it will give you about everything that you need to know. I hate making announcements. I endure doing weddings. You know what I mean? Like, it's an honor and it's a privilege when a couple asks me to marry them. I think that's just an incredible responsibility. Something I'm blessed to be able to do as a pastor. But honestly, just go to Vegas and let the Elvis guy do it. You're not going to hurt my feelings at all. But I love, I love being able to baptize people that have come and they have said that they are trusting Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. There's no greater privilege that I could ever imagine than being able to baptize uh, new believers. And, and for me as a pastor, some of my most special memories, man, they come from the people that I baptized. I think about people that, you know, are, are here in this church that I've been blessed to baptize and in other congregations and different different days and different moments. And I always go back to, um, always go back to the first church that I pastored. And we baptized, we didn't have a baptistry, we, we baptized in a mountain creek in North Carolina. And it didn't matter what time of year you baptized, the temperature was always the same. It was always set to hypothermia. And this particular Sunday, I was baptizing a little boy, and his name was Jesse, uh, too, not, not Jesse too, but Jesse also. And Jesse uh, clocked in at about 12 pounds. He was a tiny, tiny, tiny little kid. And as Jesse came into the water that day, you know, we, we did all the things that you do before you baptize. And then I baptized him. And as soon as he hit that cold water, he just went. <laughs> and just about lost him in the creek. But we've got parents and grandparents here that don't want to hear about how I almost drowned a seven-year-old. So it's always, it's always special. It's always unique. Whatever the story is that has led the person to that moment, whatever the background is, it's always special. But I think for a lot of people, baptism can still be confusing as to what happens, why we do it, what it means, what baptism does, does it do anything, why is it important, is it important at all. I had uh, one of our little girls in the church ask me just a moment ago, she said, what are you going to do up there in that pond today? Well, I want to try and answer that question. Because sometimes people do get confused about what happens when we baptize. And when that confusion is deep enough, uh, it can do real serious damage uh, if we're not clear about what happens when we baptize. For instance, there are some people that to me it seems like they just think baptism is like a cultural rite of passage. You know, you go to the DMV when you're 16 and you get your driver's license. You go to the beach after you graduate high school. And for church kids, at some point, you get baptized, and that's just part of how you grow up. And then there are people that think, you know, baptism really doesn't matter at all. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you know you have 
have been saved and you've believed in Jesus and you know that you're following him, but you think, I don't need all these rituals and all these extras, me and Jesus, we're just doing our own thing and we're doing just fine. And maybe you don't understand why baptism is significant. Or maybe you've gone so far in the other direction that maybe you think you have to be baptized to impress God and that if you're not baptized, then, you know, you're not going to be let into heaven. And you're not sure about what it means to be baptized. And y'all, I want you to know today that I understand much of that confusion. I've been baptized three times in two churches in one lake. All right, I get the confusion. That's not the way that it should be. And I want to take you today in the, in the Bible, in, the, in your copy of God's Word, to Matthew chapter number 3, to the most important, the most special baptism that has ever occurred. And I want to show you the confusion that was present the day Jesus was baptized. And how in this confusion, we see not just Jesus' own baptism, that is the baptism that he, you might say, received. But we also learn here about the baptism that Jesus gives. The baptism Jesus receives, and then the baptism that he gives. And when we put all of that together... It makes this baptism we're going to be a part of today, I think, a whole lot clearer. So let's see if we can clear up these murky waters of baptism today. Matthew chapter 3, we'll read the whole chapter. It's relatively brief. The Bible says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Here's what he said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, that's John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. 
When you come into Matthew chapter number three, you're introduced to a man who is an incredible and a significant character in the story of your Bible, and that is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a little bit eccentric, a little bit odd, a little bit of an odd dot, and a little bit of an odd wardrobe. But John is literally cut from the same cloth as the Old Testament prophets who had preached to Israel centuries before. He is walking in the very shoes of Elijah. Many ways he is doing what Isaiah, who's quoted in Matthew 3, what they did. And you should understand in your Bible that even though John the Baptist appears in your New Testament, he's actually preaching right at the end of the Old Testament. He is the last true Old Testament prophet. And John comes preaching an incredible message. And basically, he's telling people, repent, prepare yourselves for the coming of the kingdom, because Jesus is coming, and you need to be ready to submit to him as your king. And so John is preaching, and everybody is drawn to his preaching. Not just drawn to his preaching, but they're drawn to this new ministry model that he's developed called baptism. Now, when the Bible calls John the Baptist, that's not like saying you've got you know Matthew the Lutheran and Simon the Presbyterian, and then you've got John the Baptist. Really what it's saying is John the baptizer. And really, to be more correct, it's John the dunker, really. John the dipper, John the immerser, and John is the one who's dunking these people in the River Jordan. And everybody wants to know, what's what's happening? What is this? This is the first authentic message from God that the people of Israel have heard in 400 years. And they want to come check it out. And so there are massive throngs of people that come to experience the ministry and hear the message of John the Baptist. And we're told that one day, one of those people was Jesus himself. And Jesus comes, steps into the water to be baptized, and then one of the most awkward, unimaginable moments you could ever conceive of happens. Even more awkward than being assaulted by one of your sound technicians at church. When... I love you, Chris. When Jesus comes into the water to be baptized, the guy who's baptizing Jesus tries to talk Jesus out of it. And this little awkward argument ensues where John says, listen, I don't need to baptize you. You need to be baptizing me. And then Jesus says, no, listen, this is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And I think that conversation proves my point that even back then, even for the first people being baptized, even for John himself, and even at Jesus' baptism, there was confusion about what was happening in the pond. There was confusion about what it all really meant. Some people thought that maybe this is just a new religious ritual we add to our resume. Other people thought that maybe it's not that important or not that big of a deal. How should you think about baptism? Well, let's see if we can clear up the waters today. Let me give you three ideas or three concepts that come out of this passage of Scripture from Jesus' baptism. The baptism He receives, the baptism He gives, that help make our baptism that much clearer. First, baptism makes a bold statement. Baptism makes a bold statement. So John the Baptist is preaching. He's preaching in the middle of nowhere, down by the river, baptizing people as they come and repent of their sins. But what you may not necessarily see right on the surface of this text is that John the Baptist is a theological revolutionary. I don't think he gets enough credit for this. For you in Alabama to hear some wild-eyed, crazy preacher yell at you and tell you to repent, that's nothing out of the ordinary. 
Y'all probably been doing that ever since you were kids growing up and you're a whole lot better off for it, all right? But for John to be preaching and saying, you need to repent and you need to be baptized, nobody in his audience had ever heard anything like this before. There was no command for the Old Testament Jews to be baptized. It's not in the Old Testament. There was no real precedent for it. The only real precedent that they had for baptism was something that Gentiles, non-Jews like us, something that Gentiles did when they converted to Judaism. So if you take somebody who was not an ethnic Jew, and that person decides that they are going to trust and follow and serve the living and true God and live by His commandments in the Old Testament, then that person would go through a ceremonial washing, a ritual bath, where they would be immersed in a sort of baptism. And so to the Jewish mind, baptism was a way for those dirty people to be made clean. It was a way for those wrong people to be made right. It was a way for those on the out to get in. John shows up and starts preaching, and he says, Bless God, all of y'all are dirty. You think you're in, but you need to get in. He says, you think that you're clean, but you are dirty, and you need to be made clean. And somehow, this revolutionary message, it resonates with the people, and they respond in droves coming to be baptized and be made clean. Under the ministry of John, they come in repentance. And the Bible says that they come confessing their sins. I believe that you're going to find that round about verse number 6. They come confessing their sins. And I want to give you a Greek lesson so bad, but Brother Will's already given us a Hebrew lesson, so I'm not going to do that. This is one of my favorite words in the Bible, because the word confess means to say the same words. These people come, and they are honest about their sins. They're being honest about who they are. They're being honest about what they are. And they are saying the same thing about themselves that God says about themselves. We should understand today that when we are baptized, we are, in a sense, making that same kind of confession. That we are saying we are sinners. That we are wrong. We are dirty. We are outside. And we need somebody to change us. That's what confession is. Confession is being honest about your sin. Confession says, I cannot enjoy my sin anymore, but I'm not going to excuse it any longer. Confession says, I cannot ignore my sin, and I cannot justify my sin. Confession means defining your sin with God's dictionary. And friends, it would do good for us today on this baptismal Sunday to define ourselves by God's dictionary. And God's dictionary says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's dictionary says there's none of us who are righteous. No, not one. There's none of us who understand. None who seek after God. God's dictionary says that left to ourselves, there's nothing good about us to commend us to God. You say, well, that's not very encouraging. Well, they were saying more than just, I'm a sinner. Because their act of being baptized was saying, I may be dirty, but I hope to be made clean. I may be dirty. I may be wrong. I may be on the outside. But there is hope that I can get in. So what was, what was their hope? Well, I think you see it in verses 7 through 11, which I'm going to come back to in a little bit. But the conversation that, that John has with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in that conversation, really a confrontation, in that confrontation, John talks about, the baptism that Jesus will give. He says, look, y'all, all all I can do is baptize you in water for repentance. He says, but when he comes, he will baptize you, not in water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, John says that, 
And then we're told that Jesus comes shortly thereafter and Jesus is baptized. And what happens when Jesus is baptized? The Bible says that as he's coming up out of the water, the heavens open. The Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. And so God the Son in the water sees the Spirit of God descending in the air. And God the Father from heaven speaks. And God says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What in the world is happening? That's not going to happen today. Okay? It's not going to happen at this baptism we're about to participate in today. What's happening here in Matthew chapter number 3? The Spirit of God comes upon Jesus at his baptism to prepare Jesus to step into the life story that God had planned for him. To step into the life story that God had written for him. To prepare him and equip him for the life of obedience. That's why in Matthew chapter 4, the very next thing that happens, that same Spirit of God drives Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And when Jesus was face to face and toe to toe with the same devil who lies to all of us, Jesus was the only person who did not give in to his lies. He was the only one who did not take the bait. He was the only one who consistently and faithfully obeyed God all of his life until his life ended. And where did his life end? His life ended on a skull-shaped rock outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha, where he's crucified for the sins of the world. But, this is where the bomb drops. Y'all better get ready. What are we doing in the pond? Here's what we're doing in the pond. Right before Jesus was crucified, he looked to his cross And he said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 50. See how he referred to it. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus recognized that at the cross, he would be immersed into death. He would be baptized into the anger of God at all of our sins. That he would be baptized into the filth of our disobedience. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus at the cross. His crucifixion was another baptism. And he was baptized into everything that you and I deserve from God for being sinners. But three days after he was baptized into death, he came back up from the grave, as we just sang a little while ago. And that line began to roar, and the Son of God came back up out of his grave. And so when all of these people are being baptized, when all of us are baptized, or when you who are baptized in a few moments are baptized, what you are saying is that Jesus' death is your death. That you are baptized by faith into what he was baptized into. That his death is your death. His life is your life. His obedience is your life, is your obedience. His future is your future. His past is your past. You are saying that Jesus is your only hope in life and in death. What are we doing in the pond in a few minutes? Here's what we're doing. We are making the statement that Jesus is ours and we are His. That when He died, we died in Him. That when He rose again, He guaranteed that we will rise in Him. That He ascended up to His Father and that one day we will live forever with Him, with His Father. What are we saying? We are saying that by faith we are baptized into Christ. That everything He is is ours and everything that was ours became His. And we are proclaiming that to the world. Making a statement saying we are made clean in Jesus. So get this. Here's how to make sense of the baptism of Jesus. All right, These people are coming to be baptized by John because they are dirty and they want to be made clean. Jesus comes to be baptized by John because he's clean and he's willing to be made dirty for all of those sinners who need to be made clean. What are we saying today? We are saying that Jesus is the reason we're clean. 
that he's the reason we're in and he's the reason we're made right with God. Baptism makes a bold statement. But I'll tell you this secondly today, baptism also means a new start. These people went in dirty, by faith came out clean. They went in under a load of guilt and they came up made new. In fact, John puts all of this in kingdom language, right? He talks about preparing the way for a king. They went in as rebels and they came up as citizens and more than citizens, sons and daughters of God through Christ. Now, they probably didn't have terminology for all that. But I think you see it in Scripture that these people and you and I receive a new start when we are baptized. Now, a couple of weeks ago, um, I talked to the kids who are being baptized this morning. And I tried to explain what baptism is the best way that I can. And the best way that I've ever thought of to explain it, I shared the gospel with them using a rat trap and hot dogs, and that's a whole different thing. But um, I didn't have any hot dogs in the refrigerator, so I can't do that today. But it, it scared all of us to death. But I explained to them what baptism is using my wedding ring. And Will Trusty was my, was my happy volunteer that day. And I took my wedding ring off, and I said, what is this? Oh, it's your wedding ring. What does it mean? Oh, you're married to Miss Amy. Yeah, yeah, all this stuff, right? And so I put my wedding ring on Will. And I said, Will, does this mean that you're married to Miss Amy now? Man, you'd have thought this thing was burning him. It scared him to death. And I said, no, it don't. And I said, just because I've taken my ring off, it does not mean we're no longer married. But this ring is a symbol. It is a sign of a relationship. And I told them, I said, that's what baptism is supposed to be. Baptism is a sign of a relationship. It doesn't give you the relationship. It doesn't mean that the relationship's not valid if you don't have it. But you do want to make sure that the sign and the reality match up. But baptism, in a sense, goes even further than that. Because when a believer is baptized and they make that statement to the world, I belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me, that is, in a sense their public profession of faith. In the Scriptures, that's the way that people proclaim to the world when they take the microphone and say, world, I am a Christian. And again, it's just like what happens at a wedding. Because, especially in our culture, because in our culture, the wife typically takes the name of her husband. And when Amy and I got married, she took my name. When we are being baptized, We are literally taking the name of Christ on ourselves. And we are saying we are His. We belong to Him. And He belongs to us. Now, I hope that's clear to you. But sometimes we hear that and we think, well then, maybe all that really matters is that we are baptized. That that what matters is that we've just been through the water, that somehow the water's, water's magic or something that the priest or the pastor says. There's some kind of voodoo stuff that we can't see and all this stuff happens that Nobody understands, but we go through the water. Then we've got everything that we need to be made right with God. I think John addresses that confusion very well in verses 7 through 11. The Bible says that two groups of people come to check John out, Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees hated each other and hated everybody else too, but they hated each other. The Pharisees were, uh, they're all religious people. The Pharisees were extremely religious, conservative on the right The Sadducees were extremely religious, liberal on the left, didn't even believe most of the Old Testament. But they come together to see, what is John really up to? What's he doing out here in this baptism stuff? And John says to them, he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Man, I grew up listening to preachers in North Carolina in the mountains, buddy. That's my kind of preaching, right? 
He said, who, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he says, don't you realize that God is able to make of these rocks children of Abraham if he wants to? And what John is saying in that moment is, number one, your ethnic identity does not save you. Nobody is born into the family of God because of the family they're born into. We have to be born again into the family of God. But he's also saying that just religious traditions and rituals like baptism cannot save you. There has to be an internal and an eternal reality that matches the external sign. That's what John's talking about in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire, the baptism that Jesus himself gives. So I'll tell it to you this way. Well, let me ask it to you. Have you ever been baptized by Jesus? That's the question you should be asking yourself today. Not, have I ever been baptized in Jesus' name? Not, have I ever been baptized around a bunch of people that knew Jesus? Not, have I ever been baptized by a Christian pastor? Have you been baptized by Christ himself? That's the most important issue. And if you have been baptized by Christ, if you have turned from your sins and put your faith in Jesus, then you want to make sure that the external symbol of water baptism matches with the eternal and the internal reality of what Christ has done for you. Otherwise, you just got wet. That's all that happened. It may have meant a lot to you, and it may have meant a lot to your family, but it doesn't change our standing before God. And so baptism means a new start as it corresponds to the reality in our hearts. But finally, I would say to you, you should understand baptism this way, that baptism means taking a next step. Jesus comes into the water, and then he has this argument with John about who's going to baptize who. You should never argue with Jesus because you're always wrong. Even if you're John the Baptist, while you're baptizing people, and you have a good reason for your argument. You're still wrong. So, John finally baptizes Jesus after Jesus tells him, in verse number 15, John, we have to do this. It has to be this way because it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Now, that's an odd thing for Jesus to say. There was no prophecy in the Old Testament that predicted Jesus would be baptized. Now, there are prophecies that Jesus would be born in... Bethlehem and die on a cross, those things happen. There's no command in the Old Testament that Jesus had to be baptized. There were commands, for instance, that Jesus would have had to have been circumcised at eight days old. The Gospel of Luke tells us that he was. There's nothing in there about Jesus' baptism. What in the world is he talking about? To fulfill all righteousness. What Jesus is saying is that, John, this baptism is the beginning of of my stepping into the story God has written for my life. The beginning act of obedience for me. And I think in some ways it's connected to the history of Israel. Israel went through the Jordan. Israel wandered in the wilderness, not for 40 days, but for 40 years. And Israel is all the time called, in the Old Testament, a son of God. But Israel's never a faithful son. Israel's never the son that pleased God. But here is, finally, in the Jordan River, finally, walking into the promised land, finally, is the true and the faithful Israel who will bring the covenant blessings of God. Here he is. God says, this is him. This is my beloved son. But Jesus is saying, I think, John, this is the beginning of a life of obedience. And my prayer for those that will be baptized today is that this day is the beginning of a life of faithful obedience. 
And the way the Bible talks about the Christian life, it shows baptism as the first step of obedience for the people of God. My brother Will mentioned uh, Pentecost. And it's fitting on Pentecost Sunday to look at what Peter said on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And verse number 38, after he preached the very first Christian sermon, he preaches about Jesus and he preaches about salvation. And the people hear that and they say, what do we do now? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, all right, you want to be a Christian? Here's what you do. You repent, you be baptized. That's it. You turn from your sins, you place your faith in Christ, and you announce that publicly in obedience through the act of baptism. That's what Jesus does. In an act of obedience, he's baptized publicly, declaring his sonship. And today, you are publicly declaring your adoption into the family of God. You are publicly declaring that you are a son or a daughter of the one true God. Now, today... Some of you are here and you've never been baptized. You've been saved. You know you've been, you know you're a believer, you're walking with Jesus, but for whatever reason, you've never been baptized. For you, the, the eternal and internal work God has done does not match the external reality of being baptized. And you may have what you feel like are good reasons for that. Maybe you just don't like to get your face wet. I get that. Some people don't want to be held underwater in somebody else's arms. I understand that. I'm not a fan of that either. Let me just assure you, it'll be over quick. I hope that's a comfort to you. But honestly, y'all, think about this. Being baptized is one of the easiest things you can ever do. It really is. And in, in that itself is a picture of what Jesus does in saving us. Because here's the reality of how we perform baptism as Baptists. You know who does all the work? Not the person receiving baptism. I am going to do all the work. It's going to be my strength, my muscles, my ability to hold on. Folks, do you realize that's a picture of what Jesus does for us? That it's not about our strength. It's not about our ability. And y'all, if you can trust him to get you out of hell, you can trust him to get you out of that tank, I promise. All right? And so we have here today, as far as I can tell, everything you would need. We've got towels. We've got changes of clothes. If not, there's a Dollar General right across the road, and we will take Corey's credit card, and we will buy anything we need. If today you would say, if today you would say, I know I'm a believer, and I want to to get it right, then you can do that. We'd love to take care of that with you today. Others of you maybe have been confused about all this just never has made sense. I've lived through that. I hear you. And you say, today I want to be sure that I'm a believer and I want to get all of this right. We would love to talk to you and love to help you in any way that we can. But for those that are here that are very, very young, that have told me you want to be baptized, here's what I want to tell you. For you, this is going to be about the easiest act of obedience you're ever going to take. All, all you know and understand today maybe is that, that you love Jesus and Jesus loves you and you want the world to know. And you know it's what the Bible says and your parents have talked to you and I've talked to you and you feel like this is what you need to do to proclaim your faith in Jesus. This is easy, real easy. But there's going to come a day, guys, when obeying God is going to be hard. But I just want to encourage you today that if it's hard, obey God. 
If you're lonely, obey God. If it's confusing, it doesn't make sense, obey God. Follow Him. Because what you are reminding yourself of today, I hope, is that you have a Savior who obeyed God. And He obeyed God when it was harder for Him than it ever will be for you. Because He loved you. And you can always obey Jesus safely. But I also know this. Y'all are pretty young. And the big scary sins you're going to commit in your life, they're still out in front of you. And some of y'all that are going to be baptized today, you're going to disobey God. Like all of us have after we've been baptized. But I want you to know you have a Savior who obeyed God in your place. And He loves us even when we're disobedient. And He would want you to look back on this day and recognize that it's not just, not just a sign of your relationship to God. But this is supposed to be a seal of your relationship to God. It's not my wedding ring. This is a reminder to me of the promises that I made. It should be a reminder that I need to keep those promises. It's a reminder that my wife has made promises to me. And she will keep those promises because she loves me. And so, if I could rip off our Methodist brothers and sisters. They have a saying in their churches where they say, Remember your baptism and be thankful. I would say to you today, as you leave this place, remember your baptism and be faithful. Remember that you have taken on yourself the name of Jesus Christ. You're identifying with his gospel. And use that as the fuel to drive you forward. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand together today. And we're going to have a brief invitation. If you're here today and you're not sure about all this baptism stuff, I'm going to be right up front. And if you'd like to come talk to me, I'd be happy to answer any question that I'm able to. And if not, we'll find somebody who can answer. And for those that are being baptized, if you need to make preparations or get ready or, or whatever else, after we conclude our invitation, we are going to meet right over here and um, we will get to it. So we're going to sing together, but here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. So I would like to have for just a moment every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't want anybody looking around. And I just want to ask you, how many of y'all are like I used to be? And you would say, I'm just really confused about this baptism stuff. Would you put your hand up? Say, I'm not sure how it works or what it's for, what order it goes in. I see your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody else want to put a hand up and say, this doesn't all make sense to me. I see your hand, buddy. I'll be praying for you too. How many of you would say, I am a believer, and I have been baptized, but I sure haven't been faithful. And even though I don't need to be baptized again, I would like a new start, and I would like to walk in obedience. I see a couple hands back here. I see hands going up all over the church. Listen, you don't need to be baptized or baptized again to have that new start. Jesus can give you a new start as often as you need it. Come to Him today. And say, Lord, I am dirty. Make me clean. Make me clean. Maybe you're here today. And you would say, I've never been baptized. But I need to be. Would you put your hand up? And I seriously would love to take care of that for you. If you're game, I am. And if it's not clear to you when today's over, hey, no pressure. No pressure. Let's pray. Father. We love you so much. We thank you, God, for your grace towards us. 
We thank you for baptism and all it signifies and represents. God, I pray that you would use this time, Lord, in the lives of those being baptized and the lives of those that are going to witness and watch together. God, let it encourage all of us as we celebrate your saving grace. And work now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.